Lorraine Brosnan holds a unique place in Australian military history. In 1966, she farewelled her father as he went overseas for service in Vietnam. In 1967, she farewelled her fiancé, later to be her husband, also for service in Vietnam. In the 2000s, she sent her son overseas for deployment in the Middle East. Lorraine has sent her father, her husband and her son overseas for military service with the Australian Army. We're going to chat to Lorraine, find out what it was like to send those men overseas and what it was like when they came back. Welcome to Shattered, the podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss mental illness. It's by a sufferer for sufferers and for the people that are looking to understand what it's like to live with mental illness. It's my belief that you actually hold a very unique place in Australian military history and that I don't think I can think of too many women that have sent fathers, husbands, and then their sons off to war. Do you actually remember when you sent Pop over to Vietnam? Yeah, a little bit. Don't forget I was 16 at the time, having problems with a mother who had a child who was only 18 months old when Dad left. Right. So, you know, I was 16, I had this kid that got a lot of mum's attention, and I didn't have my father because Dad was overseas. Yeah. So it was, it was a, a bit of a troubled time for me during that stage. Okay. And I was a bit of a rebellious child. <laughs> but I, I, the thing I do remember is um, when they had the long tan battle. We didn't get any phone calls. Because, you know, you didn't get phone calls. Letters stopped. We didn't hear anything about Dad for a good six weeks. I remember mum being very anxious during that time. So you were clearly aware that Pop had, he was in Nui Dat when that battle happened, yeah? Well, we didn't know what it was. We just knew it was a battle and that it was in Nui Dat and that's where Dad was. Right. Not ever thinking of the danger that he could possibly be in. And because, you know, it wasn't like today where you get the headlines and the, the TV and everything. And so it was just a worrying time for mum. I could tell mum was very worried about it. Because you were 16 at the time. Do you yep. remember what the public was like r- regards to support for the war? Obviously, it got really bad later on. But what about when you were 16? Did you have any uh, problems with schoolmates or things, talking about how your dad was a, you know, a child killer or something like that? Not really, because I was already left school. I I was working at sixteen. I went, I finished school, and then went to a business college, right? Um, and became a secretary. And so, I was off working at sixteen, and most of my friends were that age. Nobody really cared about, or who we didn't hear about it. Not that we didn't care, we didn't hear about it. Yeah. And so, no, I didn't have any trouble while Dad was there. Okay. Now, come come a year later, when your father was there, yep. different matter completely, because I was in the Army then, and we heard lots of things because of being in the Army. We heard of, um, you know, all the things that were going on, and so I was in a stage where I didn't tell anybody that um, I was engaged to your father. 
But because um, you of their potential reaction, or yes, 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 really? because it was so negative, and you know all the and because that was the time when things were going on in America too, all the horrible things. Yeah, and we were getting little bits and pieces of that, and so I just didn't um, tell anybody, and I tended to stick with my army friends because there were a lot of us that had guys in Vietnam. Right. So most of our time was spent sitting around the um, the lounge that we had writing letters to our guys. Okay. So and we didn't really mix with the outside that much because of it. But you were very aware that in the general public was anti the war and anti soldiers. Oh, yes. Yeah, very much so. Did you get more information because you were in the inner circle of the army or just uh, coverage had gotten a lot better? I think coverage had gotten a lot better. People were a little bit more interested in what was going on and so they tended to tell you more on the TV. As far as army circles are concerned, no, not really. Just before we dive a bit more into dad stuff, did you do you remember Pop? Your dad, my granddad, do you remember when he came home from Vietnam? Were you there when he came home? Certainly was. Mum and I went out, to, and Peter, went out to the airport and dad just got off a plane and came to us and we took him home. <laughs> was he in uniform? What Can you set the scene for us a little bit? No, he wasn't in uniform. Um, this plane arrived and everybody was, oh, that's the plane, that's the plane. And then all these guys just got off. And he came over and we took him home. So no fanfare, no... Oh, heavens no. No, nobody knew. It was just, you know, families that knew that there was a plane coming in with guys on it and Dad happened to be one of them. Okay. Do you you remember Pop ever talking about that? That's the one conversation that I did forget to have with him. It was about coming back, so... Never. He never talked about anything. At all. So, you know, no, and, and it's, to my, um, you know, thing on my side, I really should have asked him how he felt. But I was 16. Yeah. You know, I, my dad was home, thank goodness I didn't have to put up this little kid anymore. There were two of them. <laughs> um, and so, and I was desperate to get in the army. I yeah. mean, I tried to join while dad was away and mum wouldn't let me. She said I had to wait until dad came home and signed the papers. When you were thinking about joining the army, what was your purpose then? Were you thinking that you would potentially be going to Vietnam or you were just no. thinking about the lifestyle? No, no never. Um, it was more the lifestyle. In When I joined, women had no upfront um, experience at all with combat or anything. Our job was to run the army back here in Australia while the men went. Uh-huh. So it was never a question of having to go overseas. Right. So, but my, I wanted to join the army because um, my father had been in the army for as long as I could remember, um, all, all my life really, and I, he was my hero and I wanted to do what dad did. And right. my big thing was I was going to get posted to North Head and be dad's secretary, <laughs> which, which didn't happen. <laughs> 
So let's talk about when dad was overseas because famously dad's told me the story that you broke up with him once while he was overseas. Father should never have told you that. It's something I'm very ashamed of. Ashamed? Why ashamed? Because I was engaged to this guy. I went down to Pakapanyal on a, a clerical course and I was busy studying aiming to talk because, you know, I had to impress my father. Yeah. And so I was studying like mad, but like all silly girls, they had dances and I went to dances and, and so I came home from dances and forgot to write and um, and then I that's what happened in that three months I was at Pakapanil. It wasn't a wild time. We didn't have wild times back there, <laughs> but it was a busy social yeah. life, which I hadn't had. For quite some time. You've either been gone for six months by this time. Yeah. And so, you know, having a social life was, it was quite nice and I had forgotten all about it. But then he was worried because he hadn't got a letter. We were writing every single day. Right. So he sent a signal to whoever asking why I hadn't written. Well, that just set me off. How dare he? Go to. I had to go to the, my um, commanding officer and explain why I hadn't written to this guy. <sighs> and I was just so embarrassed that I wrote to him and said to him, look, I, this isn't going to work. You know, you can't do this to me. Here's me, in country, happy, having a wonderful time. My poor darling is overseas in a war zone and I'm complaining to him. Anyway, it was only if I got posted back to Brisbane and... When I got my head straight away from all the partying things going on at Pucker, I realised that the man I loved, I had what I had done to him. So I wrote over begging his forgiveness to take me back, and he did. Now, I am absolutely ashamed of that time, and every time he brings it up, I get very annoyed with him because it's not a time of my life that I would like to remember. Being in the Army, you knew that Dad was in a fairly safe job. Were you concerned for him when he was overseas? Not really, because I had sent him, well, I hadn't sent him off, but he had gone off as a um, support logistics person. Yeah. He was safely in a workshop where people came and bought stuff to him. He organised to get it fixed, and that was it. He was gone. I was horrified when I found out that there were times when he did come under attack because I didn't know about it at the time. He yeah. never wrote and told me anything. These were all things he told me when he got back. So, no, I was never really concerned. It was almost like he was just in a posting but overseas. Okay, so you weren't, like, watching the news every day, uh, hoping against hope that you didn't see him in the news reports or anything. It wasn't, wasn't that kind of fear. No, no, no. He was safely in a workshop. He wasn't out there doing anything silly. Yeah, I love it. He, he's, he's safe in Vietnam while the Tet Offensive was going on. That, that, that. Well, but the thing is, I didn't know what the Tet Offensive was. Right, okay. And I didn't know that your father was involved in the Tet Offensive. I just thought, you know, you heard of all these squirmishes over there. And don't forget, we hardly knew anything about Vietnam. So we didn't know where anything was. Um, we just knew the north and the south were fighting and really didn't even know where the, um, you know, the line cut off between yeah. the two of them. Sure. So, you know, it was it was like he was just over there looking after the guys that had to do the hard work. Yeah, yeah. 
So when he came back, what was that reunion like? Because this is a question I've never asked you. What what was that reunion like? That must be a special memory for you. Oh, it, it certainly was. The thing is, um, I lived in Brisbane. He came in in Sydney. So I had to fly down to Brisbane to meet him. My father lent me his car, which I cannot to this day believe that he did. Yeah. Um, and I drove from Northhead, where he was at the School of Arty, to the airport at Mascot to pick him up. So, I mean, that was incredible. But, oh, just just unbelievable. I couldn't believe he was home. You know, it was about midnight when they came in, so it wasn't anything, you know, there weren't any too many other people around, just people waiting for the plane. But, yes, um, unbelievable. And how did he appear to you when you saw him? Look, he didn't appear any different at all. He, he Because we'd been writing every single day. Sure. And we'd, we'd sent photos all the time. And, um, you know, we'd really gotten to know each other in those 12 months when he was away through our letters. Right. And he appeared okay. However... After being with him for a couple of weeks, we had a lot of trouble. He was so grown up and I was still so childish. Right. And I found, we found that hard to cope with. Yep. Because he would, he would think things that I did so childish. And I'm, what's wrong with you? You know, you're an old man now. You, you're not the fun guy that you were when you first came home. Yeah, look, you're, you're just so, a young 20-year-old. You're an old 20-year-old. Get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was hard in the, in the first couple of weeks. But, you know, once, once he was home and we'd seen a bit of each other, you know, we knew everything got back together and it was great. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I want to move on to sending your son across. Now, this has to be a completely different experience, I would imagine. This is the hardest thing I've ever done, even with my father and my husband, who, I mean, I didn't know anything with them going away. With my son going, I knew everything. And I, I can remember we went to see a movie, Black Hawk Down. Yes. When it was finished, Michael wasn't even overseas at this stage. When it finished, I cried and cried and cried. And I said to Dad, I want my boy out of the army. I don't want him to have to go through anything like that. And then when he said he was going, I initially thought, all right, he's a tradesman. He'll be in, in an um, air-conditioned workshop because the things he had to fix would, would need to be in air conditioning. So he'll be sitting in the base with people bringing him equipment, which he will fix, and they'll send him on his way. And that's what I initially thought. So I thought, that, that's not too bad. You know, it's just like your father. He'll be safe in a workshop somewhere. Then we heard how because of their shortage of people over there, they were asking for volunteers to go out on patrol. Now, this I was very annoyed about. I had no idea that they would ask him to do that, and Mike, being the guy that he is, would not have sat back 
and let somebody go without him taking his turn. Yeah. And so once I found that out, I was very upset. In his first deployment, a young guy did die. And I knew that Michael knew him. I cried and cried and cried when I heard about young Ben. All I could think of was his mother and how she had lost her son that was overseas serving. And the news here were carrying on about, you know, another another one, you know, died. It's, it's just not right. Um, and then they all started their carry on. But I felt for that woman, and I still do, and it's been 10 years since Ben died. I still do to this day have very sad memories of that. And then once that happened, and I knew Michael wasn't far from that when it all happened, I was very worried, very worried indeed. Now, Mike did uh, a few tours, as you mentioned. Did it get easier the more times he went over, or did you find the fear becoming greater each time? I just didn't want him there. I just did not want him there. I did not want to have to go through what other mothers had gone through. Sure. Yes, I was concerned, especially after we heard stories when he got back the first time. I thought, oh, I I do not want you to do this again. I do not want you to do this again. But it's the army, and when they're in it, there's not much you can do about it. You've got to go where you've got to go. Yeah. When Mike came home, um, you came home many times, but I know that you've tried to be there for him. Is that, am I correct in thinking that? Oh, definitely. Every time he came home, we were at the airport. He was on his first deployment. Um, we couldn't because they took him back, flew him into Darwin, flew him to Melbourne. He's heading for Townsville. And we heard he was coming into Melbourne. So we charged out to the airport to see him for a few minutes while he was waiting for the plane to Brewston. We did. We tried to see him at every time he came back. Yeah. How important was it for you to be there? I mean, it obviously sounds like it was very important, but it's it, it seems like this is something that, that you were extremely adamant that you would be there each time he came home? I know. I'm not his wife. I'm not his children. I'm his mother. But you've got to remember, I had so many feelings of him being over there that my baby, even though my baby's quite old, needed his mother, which is a silly thing to say of a you know 40-something-year-old guy. But <laughs> when you've been on edge the whole time, about him being over there. Now, we were allowed to send parcels. I sent him a parcel once a week. Filled him up with lollies, not so much chocolates because they melted, but as, you know, anything that I could think to send him, I did, so that he could share around with the guys and they could enjoy a little bit of Australia back here. So when he came home, that all had to stop. So Ah. after thinking of him every single week, and what can I send Mike this week? Where's a lovely card I can get and, and send to him? It all just stopped. Scott was, it was really weird when he was home. And I had to remember that, you know, I was his mother, not his wife. Very important to see him and that he was okay. 
and hear his experiences. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to know. They they see them and they go, how are you? And, and they go, fine. And they go, oh, good to have you back. And that's it. I, I didn't want that. I wanted to know what did you eat? Where did you sleep? <laughs> and what did you do in your free time? What did they make you do? How many times did you go out and patrol? When you're out on patrol, where did you sleep? I wanted to know everything. And as I said, unfortunately, people don't care. They don't want to know those things. I think these guys go off and have a great time and that's it. Do you think that some people, though, don't ask because they're not sure what the experience of the serviceman or woman might have been? That could be an issue. It's a pretty bad issue, if you ask me. Because, you know, when people are in a time of immense tension and pressure, that's the time you ask questions. Yeah. So, you know, for someone to just, oh, you know, glad you're back, nice, you know, did you have a good time, to me is, is pretty weak. And I have no time for those sort of people that aren't interested in what these young men do while they're away. Mike has come back and he's had issues with PTSD. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. But when you saw Mike's PTSD, I know that it helped you understand my grandfather, your dad, a little bit better because he never talked about the impact that the war had on him. But clearly it certainly did in retrospect. Is that correct? Yes. Before I found out Michael had PTSD, I didn't understand it. I'm a nurse. You've got something wrong with you, we fix you. We give you an injection, we give you a tablet, we cut it out, we put it in. There's a way of doing everything. So I did not understand PTSD. And so it was a, a strange thing for me. So I looked up, read everything I could possibly get on PTSD In my quest for knowledge, I went, hang on, this is what my father had. Dad had all these things. Dad came back from Vietnam a different man. He unfortunately chose to go the way of of alcohol and made him a very angry man, but never talked about anything. And so I could see that this was Michael. These, you know, that what's going on with Mike was Dad all this time, and my biggest regret in life is that my mother died before we had a chance to say, "Mum, there was a reason for it. Dad had PTSD, just like Mike." So now, I, as I said, I watch everything, I read everything, any movies that come out concerning PTSD, I saturate myself in it. So that I can somehow help Mike when other people are giving him the cold shoulder and thinking that he is just not coping. Because I know my son, it would take a lot for him to succumb to PTSD. And it has. He's seen things he should never have seen. He's been places he should never have seen. He should have been in that little workshop just working on his equipment. But instead, they made him go out, and this is the consequence of it. I heard a woman maybe a couple of years ago, and she said, I, the, the army have got to do something. 
I sent my husband off and he came back broken. They have to fix him. And I thought, yes, I'm with you, girl. They have an obligation to fix these poor guys because so many of them just don't have the connections to get through it and end up suiciding. And so, you know, something's got to be done. There's two more things that I'm going to ask to do today. One, how do you feel about your son having PTSD? Now, you've said that he's a strong guy, and I agree with you. I would have called him, well, I still call him mentally tough. How do you feel about him now? Well, I don't feel anything different about him. Mike has often expressed that he wished he'd had a leg blown off or an arm or some sort of wound that people could see because they see him and think that he's putting it on. It doesn't really affect him. And I don't see that. I see my son as wounded. He has a wound, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, we can't see it. I certainly would not like him to be missing any limbs just so people know that he's okay. But people have got to start looking at at these guys from the Defence Force, those young guys that have got these wounds. Now, that's all it is. It's a wound. We've got to look after them and help them get over it and encourage them along the way. You're proud of Mike? Oh, of course. Well, who wouldn't be? I mean, he's he's a, a remarkable young man, the way he has dealt with all of this. And, of course, we're all military, so <laughs> he's one of the mobs. Sorry, darling, you're not. Um <laughs> But yes, very, very proud of him. Very proud of how he's handling himself. And I pray that it won't be long and he'll be out of this fog that he's in. Yeah. All right, last question. And I'm not sure how this is going to go. We'll just see what happens. If a young man or woman, a veteran, is listening to the show today and they're feeling alone, what would you say to that man or woman today? Now, you probably think that it's okay to be alone. Trust me, it's not. You need to find somebody that can talk to you. You need to find somebody that can put their arms around you. As a mother, all I want to do is hug these guys and just say, thank you for your service. I'm sorry this has happened to you. But we will help you in any way we possibly can. But please, please don't do it by yourself. Get in touch with DVA, counselling services, a church, anybody that's going to give you help because you're never alone. There's always someone who cares. As an interviewer, you're constantly trying to come up with a hook or something to grab people to want them to listen to the interview. What you've heard today is a mother speaking from her heart. I encourage you, if you are a veteran out there and you are struggling, please know that there are people that care for you. There are a number of organisations that are out there to help you. 
If you are struggling with dark thoughts, call Lifeline, call Beyond Blue, get in touch with them straight away, and then realise that there's other organisations out there. Department of Veterans Affairs will look after you. As a returned veteran, you may have to fight them, but they will look after you. And there's organisations like Mates for Mates, Soldier On, uh, Hand Up. There's a bunch of different places that are out there to help you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Torian Lau and also to the band Adelaide for allowing me to use their song. Check them out, Adelaide Music, in Tears Her Engine, and you'll find out all about them. I'll catch you next time on Shattered, the podcast. Surround.